good to be with with my family, my Pathway people. This is really good. Um, I'm Wendell. I'm living loved by God these days. I'm I'm in, in a rough spot, and I don't know why. Um, give you a little example. I went to the. I told somebody else already this tonight, so sorry you can hear it twice. I went to the refrigerator uh, to get some venison jerky that I made. I got it out of the freezer and had been in the refrigerator for about a month and opened up the bag and, and it was spoiled. And it's not that big a deal because I got a bunch more in the freezer. But it, it, it almost threw me in depression. I'm not joking. I'm not joking. Um, and several little things happened today of zero consequence, zero consequence, nothing. And it's like somebody just took a machete and cut my feet out from under me. I thought, Dad, gum, bring me some April. <laughs> Is it the winter? I don't know. But, uh, and I've talked to several others, and we're, we're all kind of struggling right now. So let's just know that, you know? It's okay. If, if we were robots, we, we could set, you know, a knob and all be just, but it would be so boring. It's, um, you, you need the valleys as well as the mountains, and you need all the places in between. But, uh, yeah, so I'm Wendell, and I'm struggling right now a little bit. I'm okay. I'm struggling a little bit. And uh, I'm recovering from, uh, God loves me. That's good. That's the good part. That's the constant. That doesn't change with the seasons. And I'm recovering from spiritual and emotional abuse and addiction to food and work and control. I've had issues of porn, alcohol, rage, panic, and depression. So, yeah. Um, I've had something kind of cooking on my mind. I had a, um, I'm supposed to write the sermon for next Sunday morning, which is in Proverbs. And it's, uh, we're, we're starting a new series on words that bless. And so we're talking about kind words versus uh, mean words and how the, uh, the kind words are a blessing. And, and so that's not really what got me started thinking about this. I was thinking about it before, but when that came down the pike, it like just reinforced this line of thought that's been going through my mind. And, and I, I got to thinking about... Um, I mean, look at our logo, Pathway. Um, most of us in the Pathway of Life, we, have, we don't own hovercrafts, so it's not like, you, you know, we don't uh, skip down that path. We don't usually run. On occasion, we might. Uh, we might crawl from time to time, but most of us just walk. And uh, just a good, steady pace is one step at a time. We call what we do a lot of times step studies because we just take, you know. So I just got to thinking about, uh, I want to give you an example before we get started. So Loretta doesn't remember this relative. She, was, uh, she wasn't born when he passed. But um, our mother's uh, grandfather uh, would be my great-grandfather. Lived around Niagara Falls. I think I may have told you this story before. I'm not sure. But I'm going to tell you again. So he, he lived at Niagara Falls. I only met him once in my life. And we were visiting my mom's parents in North Chile, New York, which is close to Rochester or Buffalo. And uh, she grew up in western New York, and my, our dad grew up in eastern New York in the Catskills. So anyway, um, I don't know why we were going to go visit my great-grandfather. I have no idea. I guess he'd never met my older sister and myself. I don't even know if Martha, our next sister, was born. It's Carolyn, me, Martha, and then 
Loretta and Luella, which they were twins. They were unexpected. They're still twins. <laughs> yeah, they're still twins. Uh, so anyway, so I think it was just me and Carolyn. And, and, and I, I don't guess great-grandpa Rousey had ever, that was my mother's maiden name. I don't guess he'd ever met his great-grandkids. And so they'd, I don't know why we went on this outing. And, I'll, and you'll understand why I'm puzzled. is because we got in the car, and me and Carolyn, I don't think Martha, maybe, just me and Carolyn, and these these old cars, like 50 models, where the back seat was a mile wide and the steering wheel was this big. So we're bouncing, no seat belts. I mean, you don't wear seat belts back then. We're bouncing around on the, in the back seat back there, huddled down, and we're going to Niagara Falls. Yippee, 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 yippee. It's going to be fun. You know, we go to Niagara Falls, and we get closer and closer, and all of a sudden, Mom starts turning around and lecturing us and saying, my grandfather is very temperamental and very grumpy and very mean. So when you go in to see Grandpa Rousey, you do not say a word. You do not touch anything. You go in and you sit where we tell you to sit, and you only speak to him if he speaks. I mean, I was like, you know, okay. I thought we were on an adventure to see my grandpa, but evidently not. I'd never met this man before. And so so we drove up, and he lived, I think he lived in a little, this is, I was little, lived in a little white frame house. And the first thing I remember is when we went into the living room, two enormous, I'm little, two enormous Dobermans. I'm thinking, oh, shit. I didn't say that when I was that young, but that's like, really? Huge dogs, you know, and they're looking like I would love you for dinner, and I'm thinking, oh, my gracious. So that right away got it. And then over in the corner, let's see, we came in this way, and he was sitting over here. I remember this stuck in my mind. He's sitting over here, and there's this man who's built just like a, a tank. Just His face was as red as a beet, and he'd not exerted himself. That was just the natural color of his face, and his eyes looked right through you, just, you know, and I thought, I'm not saying a word. I'm going to sit wherever they tell me to sit, you know, and I was told that this one's name was Dobie. I don't know what the other one was, but the, the, that's a good name for a Doberman, Dobie. Uh, so I sat quietly, and they had this conversation with him. It was very awkward. It was very strained. It was very, you know, tense and everything, and I remember just thinking, can we please get back in the safe car in that big back seat? and go away from this man. He's my flesh and blood, but I was scared to death of this man. So there's a point to this story. My guess, my guess is that my great-grandpa Rousey did not wake up one day and say, I am going to be the meanest, ugliest, most frightening man I can possibly be. He, that was not a goal that he got up one morning, looked in the mirror and said, guess what? This is the legacy that I want to live, leave for my kids and my grandkids and my great-grandkids that if they don't know anything, remember anything else about me, they remember that I was mean and frightening. Who would, who would do that? Who would wake up one day and decide this is my legacy that I want? My guess is that what I saw that day as a, as a lad, what I saw that day was a culmination of many, a myriad of decisions, little microscopic decisions that this man made 
that led him, the pathway, the little steps that he had taken down through his life had formed the attitude he had, the outlook he had, and thus the legacy that he left for his little four or five-year-old great-grandson. That's the legacy that he left for me. And um, this is in-house, but that's kind of the legacy of that side of the family. He left that legacy down through, yeah. And that DNA is in us, and it scares her just like it scares me. Like, I don't want to be like that. I don't know. I don't want to. That's not who I want to be. Thankfully, the other side, is, it's a lot different, more positive and happy. And Yeah. That grandfather would get up in, in the morning before we ever got up in the big hip, uh, uh, house there in the Catskills and on a wood cook stove in the kitchen in this antique Victorian-style house would make you gingerbread pancakes, gingerbread uh, boy, uh, men with a little head and a body and everything, and he used blueberries to put the buttons in the eyes, and, and then he, would, he had an undershot jaw like this, and he was, oh, Oh, this man was a hero. And he would, you would come downstairs and get warm by the kitchen thing, and he would put the, the uh, plate out there with your gingerbread thing. And then you would put on top of it real butter that they had churned from their cow milk and, and, and real maple syrup that they had tapped trees and made in their sap arch. That's the difference. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so anyway... So we have DNA and conflict inside of us. But the point of the whole thing is, the point of the whole thing is that I am where I am today because of a series of decisions that I've made. And I don't think that that series of decisions is necessarily fatalistic. If it is, then grace doesn't count. Then grace doesn't have any power to transform us but I remember early on in my life and, and you have to think but think back over this is what we do in pathway we think back over our lives I remember periods in my life when all I cared about is me me mine all I cared about was what could I get out of this what could I glean out of this if there was a pile of stuff I wanted my share of that stuff you know no matter whether it was Material things or attention or credit. or doesn't matter what it was. You know what I'm saying? Metaphorically, there was a pile of stuff, and I wanted my share of that stuff. So it's never when we entered a room, how can I share this with you? It's like, I want to get my piece of it. And, and every day, I remember this. Every day, my agenda was, I want to make sure I get my piece of the pie. What are you going to do today? I'm going to get my piece of the pie. I didn't know I was just a kid. But that was, that was though, so I made decisions, a lot of little teeny decisions day after day after day because I was scared, I was uh, insecure, and it's like if nobody else is going to take care of me, I'm going to take care of me. So I'm going to stockpile stuff, security, things, whatever. I, I looked at food that way. That's why I'm, you know, healthy. Healthy, air quotes. <laughs> um, but, but you're following me. That I, I mean, and I'm not asking you to, to, to show me your cards, but can, can you remember back in the day, maybe some of the attitudes that you had when you dig back in there and you realize, and then there came a point where I, ha where I had to decide, is this the person you want to be? Is this, 
you know, you, if you go into the ministry, after a while you realize this isn't about what you can get out of the pie. This is about helping other people just survive. Take the next step down this path. That's what, and th there's a direct conflict between uh, me getting my piece of the pie and helping these people. And so these, these came into conflict. And so, I, you know, slowly that had to adjust. So what, you know, what's your story? I mean, think about your story. Do you remember, do you remember the days? Maybe you weren't there. Maybe you've been generous from day one. Do you, do you remember the days when you were frightened and insecure? And it was like, I've got to, I've got to do what I can to consolidate and, and to surplus and to protect myself, you know, provide for myself because nobody else is going to. I've, I've got to take care of myself. It could be because of neglect. It could be because your parents were busy. It could be for any number of reasons. You felt inferior. You felt in danger. I mean, could for, for any reason. But so we make a, a series of these little decisions, and, and then we have a chance. I, th I think we all have a chance one day to kind of take a look at this and then decide, okay, now what I want to do. So I just want to go two directions with this. Everybody's, are we on the same page? Could kind of know where we're going with this. So I want to just talk about two things tonight when, in, in this general conversation. So here's the, here's the first one. So Robbie and I are sitting there uh, trying to keep warm. Our furnace is out. And so we're, we're stuffing our wood stove as fast and, and full as we can just to stay, keep that room where we live warm. And we're sitting there when, and, we're, and we're talking about, I think I told her I loved her. Isn't that gushy? But anyway, I do that every now and then. And we just got to talking about how much we loved each other and talk about, I mean, you know, we've got well over 30 years under our belt together. And I said, you know, isn't it interesting that um, when we first got together, my general idea of how to get something done was to be like a, a, a bull in a china shop. Be aggressive, assertive, get her done, you know. And hers was like, we need to be careful here. You know, you need to think this through, think through your options and weigh different things out. And and she thought I was crazy and I thought she was scared. That, that was at the beginning. You're just a coward. Well, you're just crazy. So that, that's how we started 30-some years ago. So that, I mean, we were on polar opposites when it comes to that. But over 30 years, through a series of conversations, mutual decisions, uh, just living life to together, little teeny steps at a time, just living life together, there was no day when we decided we were going to make this change. It just happened, and then we turned around and looked at it and thought, we've had this kind of effect on each other over these 30-some years of marriage. And, and now... She is so much more confident and so much more um, uh, comfortable with making a decision, being decisive. She's still careful, but, she, but she's, she's more assertive. And I look at myself and I think, so many times now when I look at a situation that has to get done, I'll think, I'll do, no, you better think that through. And it's not because I think, she's not in the room. It's not like she's looking over my shoulder. It's the effect, the cumulative Tiny step, tiny step, tiny step, little teeny conversations that we've had over all these years has had this effect on me. So we're, we still bring our extremes to the table, 
but they're not nearly as extreme. How'd that happen? Like I say, it's not that we sat down and negotiated, well, I'll take two steps to you if you take two steps to me. We, that never happened. It's just we, in little teeny incremental steps, we had this effect on each other, really not knowing that that was happening until it had already happened. And it's like, oh, oh. I used to hate to shop with her. I Take a pencil and poke me in the eye first before I want to shop with her. And now it's one of the highlights of my week. Isn't that right? Well, look at the fun we had Saturday or what day? Did we go Saturday? Yeah. And I mean, we just like, look at this, look at this. You see, see the difference? And, and that just happened. And maybe that's what got me to thinking, well, how did this... How did this happen? Because I was one to have a list, and you better be out of that store like in 10 or 15 minutes. Just blah, 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 blah. And she's like, well, it might be this one, or it might be that one, or it might be this one. Or I want to go back there and look at that one. We looked at it a minute ago. Well, it, so that was, that was at the start. And now, like, we had a good time. It was fun. And bumped into my sister in the parking lot. She wanted our parking space. Not really. So that's one thing I want to talk to you about. So when you look at your marriage and you look at the polar, the distance you are apart from each other, any relationship you're in where it's intimate and close and long-term, um, I think that's something that we can kind of look forward to is that over time uh, we really do, in small little bits and pieces, we really do influence. I think it's great. I think it's the slow work of grace. The slow, slow, slow work of grace that, that helps us to... And you know what? We don't want to be the same. Who wants to marry their clone? I mean, that would be so... That would be like, really? But, it, but it, it, what turned out to be competition or conflict now is cooperation and, and uh, um, compliment, it compliments. I knew there was a C word. We're, we're able to compliment. Okay, so here's the other thing that I, I want to say. And, and this, I say this at the risk of sounding very morbid. But I just turned 66, which some of y'all are older than me, but not a whole lot of y'all. Um, but when you, when you start getting to a certain age, I mean, we've, I've talked to you about this before. When you start getting to a certain age, you realize you have a lot less life to live than you've already lived. And you're good with it. It's, it's not, it doesn't bother you. You're not afraid of it. It's just... It's just part of where you're at in life and people are like that's so morbid or you're you know do you have a death wish or whatever no it's just it's just part of aging it's just you get to this place and you realize I've got a lot less life to live than I've already lived and so when you get to this age I don't know if everybody does this but this is a new thing for me as I thought what what kind of legacy do I want to leave behind not that I'm important not that you, I don't mean it that way not a famous legacy, but under their breath, what would I like people to say at my memorial service? I don't, up front, you're supposed to say nice things. You know, I don't, you, you can bury a dog and you still, you bury him as a prince and a queen and a, they're the best of the best. Um, I've done enough funerals to see that. It's like, really? You want to say that about them? Did you know them? Um, it did, it's, you're like puzzled about that. But, what I've thought about is what, do, what are people going to say under their breath 
not up front, but under their breath at, at my funeral or my memorial service. What are my kids going to say about their dad? What are my grandkids going to say about their pa? You know, stop and think about that. And I, and I think, I don't want to have the legacy that my great-grandpa Rousey had. Yeah, Pa was, he was scary. I was, you know, you didn't want to get too close to him. I, I want to have a different kind of legacy. And I don't think that we form our legacy with one great big fell swoop. You know what I'm saying? Do one famous thing and, because that's, maybe some people will remember you by that, but your family, they're not going to remember you by something famous or big you did or colossal. They're going to remember you for what it was like at the breakfast table and what it was like at Christmas time and what it was like and all the little commutes here and there, all the little bits and pieces, all the little conversations, the bedtime tuck-ins. and That's how, that's what forms your legacy with your kids and your grandkids. And so I think I really want to be careful about all the little choices that I make with the people I love. And here's where we come down to, to where I want to close off. And this is what I'm going to write the sermon about for this. I'm not preaching this next Sunday, only virtually, but I'm, I'm writing the sermon. Um, this is multiplied by an infinite number when you go outside the front door. Now we're in the big box store. We're in traffic. We're at the quick sack. We're walking into the office at work. We're in line at a stadium. We're in line at the theater, going to go see a movie, whatever. We're out away from family. Adam and I had this conversation. We were, we were literally weeping as we had this conversation. There are people on this planet who you literally, between now and the end of time, you will have five seconds with that person. That's it. That's all you will have with that person. Here is the key choice. Here's the key choice. This is what hits me right between the eye. I can either look at this and say, it's only five seconds, it doesn't matter. Or I could say, I only have five seconds to let them know they are seen and heard and loved and respected. I'm going to suck all the juice out of that five seconds I can. I'm going to make it count. Now think about that. When, I, when we had that conversation this last week, I thought, oh my gracious. I think this is what forms my character. It's what forms your character. Not, well, it's not going to make any difference for them. You see what I'm saying? Why be nice to them? Because I'll never see them again. What, what does that say? That forms my character. That's one of those little steps that decides who I'm going to turn out to be. So I think what I've been thinking, a lot of thinking there, is, is that if I've only got a few seconds with person A, B, or C, to the best of my ability, I want them to know that I saw them, that I heard them. And that it, in that nano bit of life, that teeny chunk out of life, for that little piece of time, they mattered to me. They mattered to one guy. And Adam looked at me after that conversation, and this is where we about lost it. He said, could you imagine what our world would be like 
if everybody went out the front door with that in mind. If everybody entered the public saying, I'm going to use every chance I can to speak blessings and not curses. Because that's what it comes down to. We're either blessing people or we're cursing them. We use every opportunity to bless every single human we can possibly bless. That is working the eighth step, the twelfth step, however you want to. That's working our last step. Is, is to say, yeah, I want to take what's happened to me in here and I want to make it happen out there. And it doesn't happen with the big stuff. It, it happens with the little stuff. So it's all yours, Matt.